0: At Sports Radio every weekday morning from seven to ten a.m. Join hosts Robbie Lula and Damon Benning and our cast of Heard at Sports personalities as they share their fresh perspectives while keeping you highly entertained. Take a dive into the latest news in all things sports from the pros to right here at home. Catch Heard at Sports Radio with Robbie Lula and Damon Benning seven to ten a.m. on air, online, and on podcast. Heard at Sports Radio. and Cream on Hale Varsity Radio with Andrew Rogers and Damon Benning. It's a good
1: thing I have Damon Benning on standby to my left because in order to calm me down, he presented me with an Acres Ale. Which is <laughs> with Nebraska corn. It is tasting
2: crisp and clean. Oh, uh, shoot. Britt Musburger. Light,
1: r- refreshing flavor helps me start to digest a little bit of my feelings from last night. So I appreciate DB, you know, helping me out, always carrying an acre's ale in his backpack just for me because he knows I like things that are locally brewed. It is the perfect beer to wind down. Normally I say at the end of the day, but today we're just going with wind down.
2: (laughs) How about a beer? (laughs) He
1: he tossed me one of those bad (laughs) boys. I shotgunned it, and here I am back with you at the 8 o'clock hour, and I know our next guest will appreciate it. my Lucy goosey side for the 8 o'clock. Lucy goosey We are talking to Brian Christofferson now, senior writer for Husker 24-7, at Husker 24-7 BC on Twitter. Brian, good morning. Good morning, fellas. Hey, Brian, let's first talk about this. So, as much as I want to keep talking about Creighton this, referee that, I'm not going to anymore because I, I, I feel like I, I've already – feel like a penguin. I've already calmed down. But um, something that Creighton has – that a lot of other teams don't is that they know who they are. They have a good culture in the room. And e- even the team up in Lincoln can say the same thing right now, that culture uh, was – whether it was created at the start of the season or halfway through the season, I'd venture to say both programs uh, – of. Division I, Big Ten, Big East caliber, recreated culture halfway through the season. Um, How much do you think that benefits just basketball teams entirely at this stage this month with either the NIT in the window or March Madness in the window?
3: Yeah, I always think culture is one of those subjects that people sort of, actually roll their eyes about in the off season because sometimes it feels like it's connected to fluff type stories. And I understand because it's always like, Oh, the culture is better this year. It's going to be this, it's going to be that. So people kind of have that vibe about it when it's not in season. And yet I think it is everything when you get down to it. Um, and that's why coaches speak about it so much because it's, it's having a team um, that, that trust each other and that has, uh, you know, been through things together. Um, even like in football, like in winter conditioning and things like that, where you're you're grinding it out when nobody's watching, and um, you sort of know what to expect from the person next to you. And there are certain standards that you hold yourself to um, in all different platforms, and then it sort of translates, I think, in those critical moments. And you see it with the best teams, like. Um, you know in march and basketball, you see those teams that just have that sort of will about them and they feed off each other in those in the toughest of moments and that 's stuff that 's built uh when no one 's looking you know so um, i i I do think it 's everything, and yet I understand why when we write about it. Um, with certain teams before it gets going, and we're keeping score, people are kind of like, "Yeah, okay, we'll see," you know. So um, that, that that's why it's always interesting to me. It it kind of means nothing to people sometimes when they hear about it in the off season, and yet it's everything when it when uh, we're deciding things.
2: BC, a couple things here first. Um, when you looked at the spring schedule, like real time, were you thinking to yourself, "Oh, that's interesting," or "Yeah, since I knew that the spring game was." The 22nd a couple weeks ago, I could just work the calendar backwards. Or we are like, man, they're not going to break this up with spring break. Let's start there. What were your initial thoughts real-time when you looked at the spring schedule? Much ado about nothing?
3: No, I mean, I I like it. Um, I guess it was what I expected because you're right. They sort of had it fit inside a certain calendar window and I had heard they were kind of starting March 20th, so you're like, okay, there's not going to be much time for a break there. It's going to be pretty steady. They have like one four-day break or where they take four days off, I think, between April 6th and 11th. But aside from that, it's basically every day or every other day. And um, I like that. I like that consistent grind and kind of building that up within your team, um, but also giving some rest and recovery days inside there. I think those eight- to nine-day layoffs that they had, uh, with the spring break when it was in the middle, like after seven or eight practices. I always thought that was probably pretty difficult to work around to get guys going after they came back from that. But Nebraska often tried to deal with that, and uh, I don't think that was probably the most beneficial. So I like this schedule much better.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I before I... You know, because I was pretty excited, right? And I think a lot of it was just because, oh, you know, that's how I used to do it. But uh, because, you know, we never took a break off in between spring. But I do think there's something for repetitive behavior without taking a break. That was my initial thought, right? Like, that's why I liked it because you get good workload in. But then I just wanted to double check to make sure I wasn't giving him too much credit. And that was just, you know, it was the luck of the calendar, right? Like, oh, you had to do it this way. But... He said something interesting that he'd gone back throughout his history and he'd looked at eight-week windows for mastery or to build a good framework before you start the endeavor, an endeavor, something like spring ball, where he wanted to have the guys in the weight room a certain amount of time. And he had to bring them in a week earlier than normal on the calendar to get the full eight weeks in. How how non surprising is that? The coach rule is like utilizing old data versus new kind of <laughs> where's my guy at to put the best plan in place for what Nebraska needs.
3: The thing I've learned about him quickly, and you probably have too, is that no detail is too small with him, and um, I, I I think he's got his fingerprints over everything. Um most everything that goes on with that program. And thats uh, I think that's something Husker fans really like. They, they kind of want other head coach. They want to feel like he's in charge and he's thinking about all these details, even if some of them, at, you know, at some point might seem like minutiae to an outsider. Uh, they're not to him. I remember when, you know, Tony White was talking to us, the defensive coordinator about taking the job and immediately rule had sent over to him like a, a study of percentages of like the specific personnel of what Big Ten offenses used the previous season and uh, had all the data worked out and obviously there's people can help with that over there uh, with all the staffers and stuff but I mean that just goes to show you like even in those early conversations with the guy who you're bringing on board the type of conversations you're you're talking about with this topic is like with everything you know like it's uh, we're going to We're going to have all the information on this. Some of it you can probably take or leave it, but we're going to have it in front of us, and we're going to try to use um, data that has proven successful in the past and make it useful in the present and going forward. So um, that doesn't surprise me what you say at all, actually. BC, with the late spring
1: practice starting point, do you think it's more rule is wanting to kind of sit back and see who's going to maybe work through spring break stay in the weight room get ready for spring or do you think it's more for hey let's give these guys a little bit of time off so that maybe they can go home see their family clear their head and come back with a fresh slate uh, once practice begins
3: yeah that's a good question Andrew I would I would think it, it could be a a combination of things. But yeah, I, I, I do think the, the, the time away is important a to rule too. Like you hear them talk so much about like rest and recovery and um, I think getting guys sort of like, I think right physically and mentally. So it wouldn't surprise me if part of uh, anything they schedule is based on the idea of giving guys time to step away here and there and then go into it full bore you know like like Damon was saying with the scheduler it's like just this consistent drum beat of every day or every other day for the most part in the spring but before that you get a little chance to maybe take a breath after winter conditioning kind of get yourself in order and then okay we're going to attack this this is the standard this is what we expect from you and uh we're going to go hard every day as they say try to get one percent better um so it would make sense to me if there was just like a little pause before they got rolling again with that spring break and uh, I I I love that schedule on paper. I mean uh, I always used to in the old days try to I guess make a case for the 8 to 9 day layoff where they would have spring break square in the middle and sometimes it was hard for a coach to avoid working around that. But honest to goodness I was just like how how do you get guys rolling again after they have like seven or eight practices, um, you know, you go away for a week and you, you kind of, you're doing all this other stuff, and then, okay, you're going to jump right back into the grind. It just seems very difficult. So I kind of like that this team in year one uh, avoids having to work around that scenario.
2: BC, full disclosure, fortunately and unfortunately, I was perusing 24 um, 7's message board because I, Shafe put a, a a good piece out. Well, I thought it was cool because Shafe did a deal on first recruits like to sign yeah. in classes and I was like, "Oh, that's interesting because the little side note to that is one-time coach rule said he's like, "Hey, you know, who's going to be is that Junior Day?" And he's like, "Hey, who's going to be the first to commit in 2024 full disclosure the last two stints that I've went the first two guys that committed to me both are in the nfl you know and it was just kind of a little funny story but of course something that matt Rowe would know right <laughs> so i went i went back and i was reading Shave's piece and we got michael rose ivy in 12 you know Trevell dixon luke gifford eric lee Bubak in 16 willie hampton in 17 cam jurgens in 18 garrett nelson in 19 logan smothers in 20 rj Sorensen in 2021 20, Ernest Hausman in 2022, and Bramer was the 2023, and now we've got Gradney. When you look at the first to go, and what some think could be a pretty big year in 2024, is there more or less significance for you to the guy that goes first? In this case, Gradney?
3: Um. I don't put a lot of significance on it, but I, that is a fascinating thing that that Schaefer went through and got all the yeah. guys. And if you look at it, it's a very it's a very uh, mixed bag. And by the way, I know what you're saying, Damon, about the pros and cons of looking at the board.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know? and listen, and and full, when full, your son's full, yeah, full disclosure. <laughs> so so it's funny, BC, because now and we know this. Like in our house, he's kind of an old, he. He's kind of viewed himself as an, oh, by the way, people don't think this. I'm just going to keep my head down and go to work. So I I just kind of laugh, you know, as as we go through this process. But anyway, full disclosure, let's go.
3: Well, well yeah, on that, Damon, as you know, like uh, with recruits, even like when we pick our Super 6 list, like more than half the time, like three or four of the, of the guys who I don't have on there or people don't have on there, they're the, <laughs> they're the better players. So it's like – yeah, everybody always has these hot takes about everybody, and then <laughs> it, it, it can, you know, it goes all over the map. So um, you got to take it for a great yeah, assault. Total yeah, total great that assault. Is pretty, that, that is pretty interesting um, as you went through those names of the first guys because uh, they're, they're definitely worse than. I mean, you got your Juergens, and you got, like, I mean, Hausman, obviously, it's gone, but he could be a really good player, and Rose Ivey had a productive career, and then you had some that just didn't really make it at all here, so it was all over. Um so it's hard to get like a specific data point from it. With uh with the Gradney who they just got, um what I liked about him is he seemed no nonsense about it. Like mm-hmm. he he they'd been talking to him for several months and then the offer came, it's like, yeah, that's what I want. He thought about it. He's like, these guys are they, they connect with me. Uh I'm a versatile he's at a smaller town school in Texas. It's really interesting. He's like a three A school down there. And a very small town, and uh, he plays like everything. And he's he's got those metrics that Rule Staff loves. Like he he's good in the triple jump and all that stuff, and throws the discus, and um, just sort of a jack of all trades guy, who um, I think knows that Rule Staff loves jack of all trades guys, and is good at finding spots where they really fit well. So, um, in a lot of ways, he's like the perfect example um to start this class out and uh, you know he's also not just like he wasn't under a rock he's a four star recruit um and you know I think Notre Dame I had heard sort of was hoping that they could stash him away for a while and kind of uh maybe work something with him too so people should know that I mean this this was a kid who had some attention even if all the offers weren't there yet they were going to come you know, speaking. <coughs> excuse me. Speaking of
1: recruiting, uh, when it came to recruiting in twenty twenty three, the new staff reestablished those relationships in state, um, and now in twenty twenty four, as everything expands, uh, they'll have to conti- continue to go with a coast-to-coast recruiting plan. Would you say today recruiting still starts and ends in Nebraska or that the best way to compete with the new and improved Big Ten once all of those teams make their way over? Maybe. Focusing more on similar recruits that they're eyeing up.
3: Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I think they've said on the record, so I'll go with what they say, um, it starts within your borders and you work out. Um, you know, I, I, I think with any staff, if, if you can't win your share at home, you're probably going to have trouble winning elsewhere, you know? So you, you got to start there and establish those relationships and be that type of program, um, that, you know, rules said it very poetically. It's it's that program where kids, um, who are like in fourth grade, they're going to big time Husker games with their parents or whomever. And, uh, they're like, I want to be a part of that. You know, when I was a kid, that was it. That was like what it was like. That was what it was like when rule was a kid, like with Penn state, you know, it's like you, you're, you're at this full stadium and it's a big time game with the top announcing crew there and everything seems at stake and it just sort of gets it into your bloodstream. Like that's, that's what I want to do. And so that's going to be the key at some point here in the next couple of years as you start winning and you start putting yourself on that stage where the local kids, uh, without a doubt, are just like, yeah, that's the place first and foremost. If they recruit me, I want a piece of that. Um, so I think they've done the right stuff, though, with the legwork with the in-state guys. Uh, but your question is a good one because you do – Nebraska has always been so interesting as a recruiting school because you do have to um, be uh, – diverse and like where you go. I mean you have to be able to go out west and occasionally get into California which they will with Tony White some you know I think you're gonna st- still see them. Um, you're gonna see them more in New Jersey. I mean New Jersey has always been huge to Husker recruiting and it's going to be back again, I think in a bigger way. I think the St. Louis area and the uh, Kansas City area could be back and play more. So I think there's some spots that we've talked about Nebraska needing to be in that they haven't maybe quite as much. And uh, this staff, with some of their connections, ideally can can put them in play there again.
2: BC, I think it's natural inclination, and it's fair even, if you will, to have some wait and see. It's not, oh, you know, you can't fully chug the Kool-Aid. What staff hires or coaches at that particular position Kind of have you in maybe wait and see mode, it isn't the best way for it, but it's like, huh, not, I'm not real sure, not real convinced. Maybe it is wait and see. Is there that guy or two out there on staff without being negative? You're just simply curious about the fit in that room.
3: Yeah, curious is a good word for it. I think Rob Dvorak, who's talking today, would be a good answer for that, um, for me, just because I feel like we don't talk about him as much, do we? I mean, uh, maybe you guys do. I, I just don't feel like he's come up as much because, you know, he's not the 24-year-old like Garrett McGuire, but he is He is in his, I think, late 20s. Nine.
2: Um, 29, and, I think.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, he's a, he's a younger coach too, but, um, you know, he's – he he was around with the Carolina experience and all that stuff. And I just feel like he's been a little bit more of on the fringe of outside conversation. So I'm very curious to hear him today, just like sort of what he's about, what he's looking for from that room. By the way, he, he, he's talking today as is Corey Campbell and Donovan Ryola Mm -hmm. to the media late this morning. That's what that, what I'm speaking about. So, um, I think it's going to be a real get-to-know-you session with him more than even some of the other guys have been because it just doesn't seem like there's been a lot out there on him and not a lot known and sort of like what his recruiting style's like, what's his personality like, and um, he's at a really interesting position group because he's got all these backers, um, you know, he's got the veterans like your Rymers and your Henriches, but he's also got like. M.J. Sherman and Chief Borders are listed as linebackers right now, and some of these guys I think can move around and be hybrid type players, perhaps. Uh, but they've—it's really a, a, a wide range of talents and new guys and old guys, and just how he blends that all together is going to be an interesting challenge.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting one because that's not the one that comes up like right away. I think even you know, obviously McGuire and and, and Coop too, just because the young and inexperienced at the collegiate level coaching because the Power 5 experience as a whole isn't great uh, in terms of this staff. So you can totally tell it's in rule they trust because you look at Dvorak and it's three seasons, he was a student assistant at Temple. I think two seasons he was the quality control coach at Baylor. And then right away he went to a defensive assistant in Carolina. So the ascent... Has been rapid. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we're only going uh, back to twenty fourteen, twenty sixteen at Temple as yeah. a, as a student assistant.
3: Curious. The the word you used to, when talking about these guys was curious, and that's a good, I think, term to put out there because it's it isn't negative for me with anybody at this point. In part because I look at the track record of rules hires at previous places. And you can find like Fran Brown, you know, who was a guy who he believed in at sort of the same age Dvorak is. Um, And now he's, you know, working at at Georgia as the, the, as the DB's coach and is widely respected. And there's, you know, there's these other examples beyond, um, I can't think of his name right now. He's the stud recruiter was down D line coach down at Texas a and M. I I mean, he's one of the best recruiters in the country. Uh, but but rules hired some of these guys who really didn't have much of a resume by uh, outside perspective standards, um, and he believed in them because he's had enough conversations with them. They trusted them and knew they would work hard, and um, that's the case again with this staff. But it's but curious is the word because you're like, well, let's see if that takes off again. And you can be it's okay to be a little skeptical if somebody hasn't proven it yet at this level, and and have that wait and see. And I think that's where it is with some guys.
1: BC, I know a lot of people want this question answered, and I wonder if it could come today or maybe allude to an answer. Getting the line of scrimmage back is definitely one of Rule's top priorities, but when do you think is a fair time to think that Rayola and Rule can accomplish this?
3: Well, I mean, I think you want to see – Steps by the middle of this season where you feel like they're at least a a formidable crew I'm not saying that they're going to be the 95 pipeline or anything like that but um just just the building blocks are happening where you're seeing a team that okay from whatever it looked like in week one by week five or week six you feel like it's it's a better football team up front and in the years where it's gone south that's been the, the thing you know it's it it hasn't gotten better it's uh it there's sometimes there were injuries like last season but um i think the i go back to though you want to see an identity too and let's see if the o-line can work off an identity like i, I know rule went to bat for the o-line in like the first press conference and he's and one of the things that he kind of slipped in there was you know you basically that. you got to have that identity where, where where a line and your your trench group knows what they're all about and what they're being asked to do and you're not just all over the map with your, your plan. And so I think that those two things have to tie together and you hope by the end of September we're seeing it and um, early October and it's the type of football team that uh, can grind out some 10-11 play drives. I'd love to see that again at Nebraska.
1: Brian Christofferson, really appreciate your time, and we will talk again next week. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, B. Senior rider for Husker 24-7, Brian Christofferson. Toss him a follow on Twitter at husker247BC. Up next, we're talking to Kevin Suit, sports director at ten eleven now.